Scott Sanders. And I'm Derek Hanna. Welcome to The One Thing, a podcast designed to give you one solid practical tip for gospel-centered ministry every week. G'day, Derek. Hi, Scott. Hi, hey. Steve. Hey, how are you? It's, it's unusual. We're in a, we're in a packed room. Uh, Multiply is still going on. The audience is, is growing. Oh, look, I'm glad it's not being filmed because there's just too many people. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Yep. Well, we are coming to you live from Multiply 18, the Geneva Push Network's national conference. We're live in Melbourne and it's been a great couple of days thinking into the topic of taking the urgent gospel out to not only Australia but also to the nations. And uh, look, we have uh, for episode 13, now we've got Steve McAlpine with us. Steve, welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Uh, you are from Perth. You're a minister of the gospel. Uh, you love telling people about Jesus. You're a blogger. Uh, and look, Christianity is increasingly on the nose in Australia, around the world. What we're going to talk to you about tonight, we, the topic we've given is um, persuading and proclaiming how it is we need to engage with society in order to not maybe not avoid cultural landmines, but maybe how to walk through them well and wisely and biblically. That might be a better way to put it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, you don't want to avoid them. Um, you want to at least be wearing a flak jacket when you, when you hit them, I think that's true. Yeah, so being aware of what you're going into is probably uh, crucial, to what I think. You've got to know your, what the cultural landmines are, and, but you've also got to be able to say, I'll take the flak if I stand on it. I can't just avoid it for the sake of avoiding that, mm. uh, for the sake of keeping the peace, because I think eventually the landmine will get you somewhere along the line. Yeah. yeah. Now, Steve, uh, you are a renowned uh, blogger. I think you write more words than I talk in a week. Uh, uh, that, that is patently untrue, that <laughs> is. That is patently untrue. You do write a lot, though. You do write a lot. Uh, you, you're from Secular WA. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if you can help us think into the different approaches... I guess that we're hearing about on the blogosphere about public Christianity. Yeah, look, I, I guess when you think about the approaches to public Christianity, if you, I mean, one of the, um, I think, uh, a slight parody of uh, the Benedict Option, as we call it, as uh, Rod Dreyer's book, is that it's sort of a flight uh, mechanism. You sort of head for the hills, you uh, put up your, your barbed wire fencing, and you stock up on bean, bean spam and shotguns and wait for the zombie apocalypse. So that, that's, that's jump in the monastery and, yeah. uh, and forget about the world around you. I think that's not quite what Rod Dreher is saying. I think he's saying uh, we need to thicken up the Christian framework, uh, and, it's, and it's okay for it to be angular, and it's okay for it to be crunchy, and it's okay for it to be dissonant with the culture, uh, but also very distinct, uh, so that, in a sense, like the, the Jewish kid, when he Got, went to school where his dad would get him ready in the morning and say, right, go out there, son, remember you're different. And the, the Christian dad was getting his kid ready for school and going and saying, go out there, son, and try to fit in. You know, <laughs> I think we've got to go back to what that Jewish thinking was like. So that's, that, Rod Dreher's like that. I guess there's the other approach of how can I find the most common ground at every point and delay maybe the crunchy bit as long as possible, sort of a hold that off. So you still get to the crunchy bit? I think you still, yes you can, but uh, I think sometimes uh, that, if, uh, well if, if you don't train for the, for the punch in the nose, as Mike Tyson said, everyone's got a plan until, until you get spun, punch. punch in the face and then your plan goes out the window and you're on the ropes. Can you give us an example of what that might look like? So, or, or give us a, a public expression of that. Um, look, I, I, I would say 
I will say, if I got into Q&A, which is never going to happen, I've got a radio face, I'll tell you that right Maybe now. Maybe your brother. <laughs> Maybe they get your brother on it. If, I think if I got into Q&A, I, what, I wouldn't, what I've noticed in the past is that people look for similarity if they're a Christian. And what we're praying for as Christians out there watching Q&A, if any Christians actually watch it anymore, is uh, please don't let him, her, come across as an idiot. And okay, so what we get in Q and A is we're just like you, only more like this over here. I think those days are past because we're getting called out quicker. We, the time lag between getting called out on the stuff that the culture says is no way is shorter and shorter. And I think you've got to kind of lean into conflict a little bit more, not rudely, conflict with a smile. But if you don't train for that, and if you don't equip your people for that. Um, I think that's a problem. So you're a Baptist, so there must be a middle way. There must be a middle way. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll, okay, give some examples yeah. of that, or people who you've seen do that well, because that's not a natural instinct. Oh, it maybe it is to some people, but, but particularly from a Christian point of view, you think, yeah. you know, we want to be soft and warm and loving and we'll win them over by generous hugs. Well, we think it's that in the... Oh, this is a con- contextual, cultural thing for me. I uh, coach a young missionary bloke in uh, Mozambique, and he said as he's watched the culture of war thing play out and Christian's comments, he said, African Christians would never back down on that. They just say it hard uh, because they're not afraid of conflict. And so sometimes we might read our slight Western middle-class passive aggressive thing as contextualising when really it might be just that we don't like conflict. I'm not saying that we need to be narky and nasty all the time but I think when Jordan Peterson came on the scene one thing I noticed was that he leaned into conflict really quickly but he was very you know effusive if you've seen the famous video it's all with a smile but at the same time he's been saying people aren't as brave as they think they are but if you're going to do something like I'm doing he said you're going to get conflict you're going to get a lot of pushback so he said, lean into it. Last year we had Greg Sheridan from the Australian newspaper over in Perth and we hosted him for a, uh, a seminar uh, at a pub and an Irish uh, ex-Catholic uh, trainee priest and a Northern Irish uh, Protestant meet in an Irish bar. What could go wrong? And uh, he said, my advice to you, and he's from a Catholic background, is don't be afraid to lean into the conflict on this one. He said, I deal with conflict all the time and I just think that you guys could lean into it a bit more because you've got something significant to say and people do want to hear it. Don't, uh, they won't agree with it but there will be people who want to hear what you say uh, up front. Do you cop it on your blog very much? Uh, yeah, I do. From who? Uh, Not, don't yeah. give me names. Yeah, I've got their addresses and their phone numbers. Yeah. But what, what <laughs> angles are they? Like, are they yeah. Christians, non-Christians? Christians and non-Christians alike, I think. Um, I shut down the comments on the blog itself, but people can put anything they like on Facebook uh, because I was getting, you know, thousand-word rants to which I just reply, write your own blog, and then <laughs> stop them saying that. Uh, just people saying uh, I'm either too harsh or I'm not harsh enough or I'm uh, hate-filled on this or I'm a homophobe on that or whatever. And I have to say that my natural tendency isn't to be... Uh, a nasty so-and-so. I like people to like me. That's our default in one sense, unless you're a psychopath, I suppose. But in the end, I just went, no. Uh, I have to say these things, and people are not going to like that, and they're going to respond in certain ways, but I'm still going to say them, and we'll see what happens. Um, And my wife is much more irenic than I am, and she just thinks... You know, you're going to get in trouble. And she, she's a clinical psychologist. She reads people very well. Um, 
And so she says, just be careful what you say there. So she does temper me on a few things. Now, Steve, we want to keep uh, talking to you, but yeah. one of the things we're doing, the one thing, just for the, the uh, live audience that's out there, there's now thousands. <laughs> that's Harry. Yeah. <laughs> is, we, is we pause for what we call the toolbox, uh, where we give you three tools to actually help you sort of unpack this topic a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's a special episode. We've got four today. In fact, <laughs> I had to stop Steve at four. Oh, right, he yeah. kept lifting, listening off. Okay, do you want to? You've got, I've got some here, but you might change them. Yeah, what no, have I you wouldn't change them. I wouldn't be that angular and crunchy. Um, look, I, I think if you're going to read anything about that whole issue of how uh, the idea of you know we can't sort of just mask it anymore. It's coming to us harder. Uh, Mark Sayers, Melbourne guy. Here we are in Melbourne. Disappearing Church. Uh, is a great book to read. Now, the uh, subtitle of that book tells you everything. Disappearing Church from Cultural Relevance to Gospel Resilience. It is a fantastic book. The second one is uh, is the Jordan Peterson podcast. Yep. Uh, you can get his book, mm-hmm. but you can also listen for free to his podcast. Yes. Sorry, just on that, can I say on that one? That's been, I've found that unbelievable. He's been very yeah. helpful. I've found that to be an incredibly helpful evangelistic tool. So people who I've been friends with who aren't Christians for years, you know, you're working out what's the kind of, you know, point of entry for meaningful conversation. Actually, that's been one of them. I've been saying, what do you listen to, to on podcasts? Mm. And I listen to their one, and this is what I'm listening to. Yeah. I know he's not a Christian, but he says some very helpful, provocative things. It's been a great yeah. And if you watch stuff that he does with Jonathan Haidt uh, from New York University, and uh, they also do good stuff together, and also Jonathan Haidt with Tim Keller. So they've got an atheist uh, psychologist with Tim Keller at New York University. Fantastic. Uh, hour-long uh, pod, um, videos. And the uh, the third one is, well, it's two books, uh, How Not to Be Secular by Jamie Smith, which you've already you know referenced and spoken about, yeah. and then This Secular Age by Colin Taylor. He pitches it by starting by saying you're a church planter in so-and-so and so-and-so, and you've found that people don't ask these kind of questions anymore. They're on project, you know, project them. And I think he pitches it well for people at planning churches. Now, we're breaking all the rules tonight because we've got four fourth. things. The oh, fourth right. one is uh, is First Things magazine, oh, a is. Catholic journal. What? Yeah, I, yeah, settle, settle, settle. Read yeah. First Things magazine because it's, um, it's the finest uh, philosophical, theological, cultural journal that you can get. So we, we, we have broken the mould on the toolbox yeah. massively. Oh, sorry, man. We're now going to keep breaking it by actually opening it up to the uh, live audience uh, in front of us. So we're hoping you've got some questions here. Normally Scott would sing at this point in the podcast, yeah. uh, but we're <laughs> going to take questions from the audience. Speaking of gospel resilience, homosexual marriage is now legal here. What constitutes repentance to a, a gay married couple considering Jesus? What does repentance look like if they're legally wed? Have you got a harder question than that? <laughs> Biblically, it's not marriage. Uh, and because I know a few people have been in similar situations, um, in our own context, uh, I guess, you know, de facto relationships have all the uh, legal uh, sort of uh, recognition. Uh, but I think that repentance does mean you can't live that lifestyle and you would, you're not married. So I don't think it would be divorce in the eyes of God because I don't think it's marriage in the eyes of God. Now you aren't going to come out on the front foot and say that as your first thing that you say to people. You know, so I, in one sense, the whole same-sex marriage thing, you can get angry about it, but that's because you don't understand that Christian... Uh, you know, I don't expect non-Christians to live like Christians, but I do expect Christians to live like Christians. That's a sign of repentance. But every person uh, hands Jesus 
a blank check to fill in that they've signed and that's going to look different for everyone. That's probably that's a difficult one in our culture because the idea of marriage and those relationships are held high, but everyone has to hand a blank check to Jesus and that would be my answer to that one. I, I, I've got a question for you though, Steve. Yeah. Um, you're, you're a pastor first and foremost, yeah. so you do write lots, but, but really your heart aches mm. for Midlands and yeah. for the lost in Midlands and you want to see them come to know Jesus. I, know, I think for me, I have those conversations and I write that stuff, but I do want to see our people grow and be discipled and I want to see people who don't know Jesus uh, get to know Jesus. But what I want to do is make sure that they know what they're actually signing up for. And one of the things I've said to our congregation is, m- you, my job isn't to get you to do my job better. Much of my job is to equip you for life in Babylon tomorrow. And that's what it's like out there. I'm not going to kid you that it's not like that out there because people are coming in tired, they're busy, uh, life is not easy. And they want to know that that's okay, that they're going out to somewhere where they are going to struggle. I mean, I'm the protected species. I'm not going to have a wear a purple day or lose my job. <laughs> they might. And so I want to be sensitive to where they are. But also when people come in, I want to be very clear that the practice of meeting together all of the time will shape you and thicken you and encourage you. The the practice of hearing God's word, uh, we do communion every week. The the practices of being together and under God's word and shaping ourselves around that will make it thicken up in our lives so that when there is conflict, we'll still feel encouraged by what's going on. The, we were talking before about this, one of the things that, that I thought was really helpful. You were talking about the, the connection of how we see epistemology and how we see ecclesiology. What yeah. was the, what was the yeah, common connection line. you were making Yeah, there? that I, I said that the search in the uh, missional emergent churches, we need to have a humbler epistemology. And that kind of led us away from any good theology. And I think we just have to have maybe just a little bit of a humbler ecclesiology, like the city of Detroit when it sort of fell apart after the, uh, the motor industry caved in. Uh, it had overreached itself. It had tried to do too much. And I think the church in some sense mirrors that, that it, as you've got places, you're, you're so spread out and you're so thin. What Detroit did was it contracted the city back to health. It didn't sort of... Uh, uh, kill the city, but it knew that if it kept sending tendrils out with no support network, it was going to die. So it pulled it in, reclaimed its identity, and then it started to flourish again and move out. Not because the car industry is coming back, because, but because they realise they're in a different setting. Uh, things have changed, and they need to be a thick community, a thick city for whatever the future is. And I think that's what the church has to do. It thicken up in one sense at its core about what it is and what it's about. In, in order that it can meet the challenges that are coming. And take the gospel out. Indeed. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. It's been great uh, doing this for a live audience. It's been a bit of a weird experience, Derek, for me. Yeah, uh, me too. Because yeah. it's very hard having a conversation yeah. like, across each other. Yeah. Not, you know, sort of face-to-face. Like, I have a photo of Sam Chen at home, just <laughs> next to the dinner table <laughs> looking at me, but it is weird to have him actually there. It is weird. Now, this show is called The One Thing. So, Steve, if we're thinking about uh, persuading or proclaiming, what's the one thing you want to leave the uh, audience with? Um, I think our ultimate persuasion is by proclaiming, by proclaiming who we are in Christ, by being the body of Christ together that uh, announces the worth of God to the watching culture, whether the culture sees that or not, but also eventually the water goes out, (laughs) the pressure goes out, people will start to share the gospel with people. Mm. All right, thanks for joining us for this 13th episode, live episode of The One Thing. 
Uh, look, coming up next in our next episode, what do we got, Scott? Uh, ministry dashboards. What ministry, are they? Yes. What do they do? Uh, how can we get them? Can I say that is actually much more exciting than it sounds? He's much more exciting. We're going to tackle it all in 15 minutes. Thank you. Yes, it is. Well, I'm Scott Sanders. And I'm Derek Anna. Chat soon.